I hope you believe in that song, Here Am I, Send Me. Of course, that's Isaiah's call or his response to the call of God. He says, Here am I, send me. We're going to have an incredible, incredible European Missions Conference coming very soon here. The European Missions Conference, in other words, called the EMC, is God's plan to evangelize all of Europe in our generation. And we are so excited about all those who have come to be baptized as of late. I'm very encouraged that last week we saw our sister Chimka make Jesus Lord and become a sold-out disciple. But equally as encouraging was James became a sold-out disciple as well last week. I I'm excited that all the way up there in Cambridge, Storm Z was able to inspire and pay for the uh, dare we say the, the tuition for our sister Michelle, who's been baptized right there. God wants a faithful, faithful uh, campus ministry at Cambridge. Uh, I'm excited that uh, Tom Wilson is back with us from Scotland, wherever Tom is. And uh, it was very encouraging hearing the communion from our sister all the way from Los Angeles, California, Valerie right there. Valerie's got a dream for the Spanish mission team. And, uh, of course, she's got to get a, a, a boyfriend first right there. That means she's got to start dating right there. That means a brother's got to be able to lead her right there. A brother's got to be able to lead her right there. Well, don't worry. If he's not in the fellowship, he'll get baptized. You know, it was encouraging uh, to see our sister Marissa, who got restored right there, And uh, in the fellowship, I was able to see our, our newer sister, Amelia, who was recently baptized. She introduced me to her, her dad. I think it looked like her big brother or something like that. We got the same haircut. The BB, we're the bald brother crew right here. That's the real BBC right there, the bald brother crew. But her father is here visiting today, so it's encouraging to have you. And uh, I want to give a special, special welcome to uh, a special visitor visiting with us today. You know, I know we... Our, our goal is really to uh, baptize many campus students. And it's great to share your faith on campus. But I'm so encouraged that uh, Ignatius is visiting with us today from Chile. Ignatius has, is counted as one of the top 100 most influential young people in all of Chile. He's a university lecturer in robotics, artificial intelligence. He's got his master's from Imperial College a specialization in quantum computing from MIT, and he's getting his second master's from the University of Chile currently. But he thinks those things are cool. He just would rather be here in Europe and come to the European Missions Conference, and he's already booked his flight and tickets to leave and come back. For all you campus students out there, that believe in higher education. Let me tell you, we've got someone in the house that believes in a bit higher education. And let me tell you something, I think he wants to do great things for God. It's great to have you with us. And yet, what can I say about dear friends, a dear son in the faith, Yuri, and a dear daughter, Shamika? Today being there, I couldn't look Yuri in the eye, I would start crying. He means so much to me and means so much to this church. I say without exaggeration, we would not have the London church if it was not for the faithfulness, the loyalty of Yuri Zykov. So Yuri was... I met Yuri for the first time in Los Angeles, California, and I came over a bit early, and I was going to be one of the speakers on the program, and so I went to the campus devotional, and Raul told me about this incredible young European man who had been baptized. And I showed up at Campus Devo, you know me, T-shirt, jeans, still trying to act like I'm young. And uh, Yuri says, you know, he, I run into him in the fellowship on accident. And he didn't know I was a preacher. And he goes, what kind of T-shirt is that right there? <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I said, you know, just a, you know, a cotton one, you know. <laughs> you know, and I, I didn't say much. And then he kind of made some, he kind of poked at me. And we kind of played around. And then, and then Raul goes, and Michael, who leads the London church, is here. And Yuri goes, he's the preacher? He's the preacher. He didn't know he had met the preacher in the fellowship. And so then Yuri was faced with a dilemma. 
because he had to be sent out of the church in Los Angeles to come back to his country. You say, what was his country? Was it, was it city London? No, no, it was Germany. But Yuri had a deep conviction that the kingdom of God was his family. So instead of coming and, and, and just going to Germany where we did not have a church, Yuri came to London. And it was a glorious landing. Uh, he landed, and the first few things we had to do was talk him out of believing in the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit right there. But then more importantly, he, he, we embraced Yuri as family. And Yuri paid the cost for where the church was at. He slept on couches. He slept in areas of, of London that were, as you would say, a bit dodgy. And then one time, it got really, really bad, and Yuri, I said, Yuri, okay, you're coming to live with me. And so Yuri came to live with us. I kicked Michael Adrian out of his room right there. He took Michael Adrian's room. And uh, all of Yuri's problems went away when I made him some, some pasta. And made him some pasta. He had that pasta, and all of a sudden, Yuri was like, I am sold out. He graduated from his university, top of his class, in Germany, from London, sleeping on couches with no campus ministry. And Yuri has paid the ultimate price of total commitment. He's got a wife that looks like, the, I mean, if the Queen of England was a, a woman of color, it would be like Shamika right there. I mean, you should have saw her yesterday with the little baby. She's just there. She's just kind of like the queen everything. You know, she's just like so spiritual, so loyal. Their parenting is produced. It, it's just so clear in their child how humble the child is. And yet, yet today, today will be their last worship service because Yuri and Shamika will be sent out as the seeds of total commitment and faith in the kingdom of God, and we will be planting Berlin, Germany this year. There's no other title for today's lesson other than a title that comes from, arguably, Yuri's life. You're only sold out when you're sent out. You're only truly sold out when you're sent out. Sent out where? Into the world. To make true disciples. First John chapter 2. The Bible says this here. Do not love the world or anything in the world or anything the world loves. It says if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. Since the world passes away, the desires of the world, they will pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And the church said, Amen. you know, it's so powerful. It says, when you do God's will, you will live for eternity. So a true Christian doesn't really die. He just trades places. He goes to be with God for eternity. And it's so powerful because if we are to be sold out, we're going to be sent out into the world to make true disciples. Now, what's so powerful is the, the Bible has many words in Greek for the word world. The word that's used right here does not mean do not world, love the physical world, like do not love the trees and all that. I'm from Portland, Oregon. You got tree huggers there, people that love trees. They're like, we don't need to save souls. We need to save the trees. <laughs> That's not what the world is talking about here. That's not the word, that's not the Greek word that's used. The Greek word that's used for world is the word cosmos. It says, do not love the cosmos. It's used over 187 times in the New Testament. What is the word cosmos? What does it mean? It means to love the system of ideas and beliefs governed by an evil entity in rebellion towards God. I'll say that again. It means to love the system of ideas and beliefs governed by an evil entity in rebellion towards God. Do not love the system of beliefs in the world. That's what he's saying here to the true Christians. Do not love the system of belief. Do not love humanism. Humans are not God. Do not love atheism. How, why are they so mad at a God they don't believe in? Don't love the system of the world. Don't love evolution. That way you can make up right and wrong for as long as you live. And there's never no true, absolute truth. Don't love the system of the world. 
It says, do not love the cosmos, the world system. Instead, we've got to love Jesus Christ. We've got to love the word of God. We've got to love the purposes of God, not the world. So powerful because the first century disciples were sold out. How do we know? They were sent out into a system of beliefs in rebellion towards God, and they turned the world upside down. And what's so powerful is when you read the text of Acts chapter 17, and it says they turn, the Christians turn the world upside down, a different word is used. It's not the same word, cosmos. It's the word oikomene. That word is different for world. See, God is very specific in his words. He means something. He is very specific. And when he says that the disciples who were sold out, who were sent out, turned the world upside down, he's not saying they turned the world system upside down. We don't need to go and turn atheism upside down. We don't need to turn, Buddhism doesn't even believe in right and wrong. We don't need to turn Buddhism up, up, we don't need to do anything with that. We don't need to do anything with humanism. That's not how they turn the world upside down. The word world is different. It means, oikimene means the people who inhabit a certain region. So they turn the people upside down. They literally change the people of a whole nation with the word of God. They were so sold out, they changed people. They changed people. Absolutely, we are looking to change nations. You say, well, I visited for the first time. I, you know, what's your agenda? Oh, our agenda is for you to fall deep in love with God. We, we totally have an agenda. We're going to be real nice to you. We want you to love Jesus. We want you to know you got sin just like us. We want you to know you're not better than us. We're not better than you. We want you to know you need Christ. We want you to know the Bible can heal you. We want you to know that Jesus loves you. We absolutely have an agenda to turn you upside down to change this world. It's so awesome to know the gospel changed the people in the world. That builds, but they went from skeptics to scholars. I, I go, wow, that's what the Bible can do. They went from pessimist to evangelist. That's what the Bible can do. They went from being super duper depressed, then super, super blessed, not stressed. That's what the Bible can do. That could be you today. God wants to turn you upside down and change your life. He can change your life. You know, I'm so fired up about the Stockholm mission team. Caspar and Ashley. He sold out. <laughs> he sold out. <laughs> she sold out too. Caspar, uh, of course, he met Ignatius at Imperial University. And you know, Stockholm is known, for those that don't know, Stockholm is known for, it's obviously a Scandinavian country, known for, you know, there are certain times Stockholm is dark uh, 20 hours a day. You got five hours of light. You got to crank, you got five hours to crank, and then you're back in darkness. <laughs> that's the winter months right there. Uh, but I believe there's a darkness there that's not just physical. There's a deep darkness in, in, in Europe, but specifically Stockholm, that I really believe we, we can learn from. See, there was a time in the 70s where there was a, a problem that happened there. There was a bank robbery, and it coined a very dangerous phrase called Stockholm Syndrome. You say, well, what was Stockholm Syndrome? What happened? Well, in 1973, there was a man who tried to rob a bank, and the police caught him, and this guy had taken three female hostages and one male hostage, and he, he took them hostage for like 131 hours. He had like this Russian rifle pointing it at him. He like strangled them and choked them. He was like, I'm going to murder you. I'm going to murder you. He had, he had them captive. You know, it was, you know, helicopters and police trying to, trying to get this guy who, who had these people held hostage. And they were trying not to kill him. And he was threatening the hostages over and over that he was going to kill them. He put a noose around their neck, uh, strangled them several times. And, and, and it was super antagonistic. Finally, they get him to surrender. They get the guy to surrender, and they were expecting the hostages, you know, like in the movies, a breakdown of tears, oh, my parents, you know. No, you know what the hostages did? They felt sorry for him. They felt super sad for him, so sorry, they decided not to testify against him. They refused to testify against the guy that held them captive, the guy that was going to kill them. They refused to testify. 
And one of the ladies actually got married to him. And they coined it as Stockholm Syndrome. Instead of testifying against him, she said, I want to marry him. You know, a true disciple has a testimony. A true disciple's come to testify. A true disciple has come not to have spiritual Stockholm Syndrome and to fall in love with the things that hold us captive, but to testify against them. To testify against atheism. To testify against it. And, and it's, so, it's, it's so crazy. You know, the Bible says that Satan can take you captive to do his will. 2 Timothy 2, verse 25 through 26. And what's so interesting is you think about that. You think about Paul the apostle. Paul got arrested and went to jail for preaching the word. That actually happened to me in L.A., Los Angeles, California. After midweek, they arrested me for preaching the word. I got out. It was awesome. Amen. I'm here. They literally arrested me for They thought I was a gang member or something like that. They're like, what's that in your bag? I go, it's a Bible. They laughed at me. Then they pulled it out. Oh, it is a Bible. I share my faith with that police officer. I mean, he goes, you're making me feel guilty. I go, I want you to feel guilty. You need to come to church, arrest the preacher for nothing. Anyway, Paul gets arrested. <laughs> Paul gets arrested and goes to jail. He's got these incredible interns with him, these guys that help him. One of them was the name Demas. And Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, that Satan can take you captive to do his will. He then writes in Philemon chapter 1, verse 23, that Demas was his fellow worker. So when Paul was in prison for the very first time, he wrote many letters, including Philemon and Colossians. And so when he wrote Philemon and Colossians, when he wrote these letters, he had these interns that had not been taken captive, but they were, they were awesome interns, guys, that he could help be sold out so he could send them on out. And the Bible says, in, again, in Philemon chapter 1, 23, Demas, my fellow worker. So Demas was one of his workers. Then it says in Colossians 4, verse 14, Demas sends you greetings. So Demas was sold out at one stage, and he helped Paul write about his first imprisonment. But after his second imprisonment, because you may think Stockholm Syndrome is just something that happened in Stockholm. No, it happened still now, and it happened way back then. After Paul's second imprisonment, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 9, Paul says this, Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loves this world has deserted me and gone down to Thessalonica. He had become a sold-out disciple. Someone who said, "I, Jesus is Lord. I'm ready to be sent out into the world to free the world of the world system of thinking. Uh, you know, it's so interesting you think about the world. What, I love to ask people, what is your standard of morality? Because you don't want to believe the Bible. What's your standard? Well, I just think inside of us humans. No, 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 no. What makes you better than the next human? Why are you different than Hitler? Well, we just know right from wrong in our heart. No, you don't know right from wrong. We believe a lot of different things. What regulates humans? What is the standard of morality that you can measure everything? What's always right? It's not humans. It better be something outside of human. It better be something supernatural. God is always right. My standard for judging is not me. It's God. And so we live in a system that does not have a standard of morality. So we need a standard. We need something to measure. How do we know what wrong is? Unless we have a moral backdrop to base everything. We know that that moral backdrop is the almighty God who loves every single nation and shows no favoritism. It's God. God is the moral backdrop. God's got to be your moral backdrop. And God stopped being Demas' moral backdrop. He loved the word. You know what Demas means? Popular. He wanted to be popular. We've lost some disciples. You know why? They don't want to be disciples. They want to be popular. They want their Facebook to reflect the world. They want their Instagram to reflect the world. And yet, even in this room, we got to make sure that our, our, our online profile doesn't make people fall away. You just want to be popular. And we, we, we got to be Christians that don't want to be liked by the world, but loved by our God. Are you with me here? Demas got Stockholm Syndrome. Instead of going out and continuing to set captives free, he got taken captive. And he fell in love with the world, and he's known for his failure in the Bible. And yet, I, I'm fired up to go to Stockholm. I mean, Stockholm's got some issues up there. I mean, they, they just got, I mean, they, they, you got a bunch of people to believe in atheism. Uh, they believed in bestiality all the way up until 2014. You could have sex with animals up there. It was cool. Yeah, yeah, Stockholm. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. 
just sleep with dogs, animals. Weird, right? See why we need to be sold out and sent out? See why we need to go make disciples? See why we need to deal with Stockholm? We got to Stockholm 6 to go deal with Stockholm Syndrome. Caspar, Ashley, Liam, Shaney, Gustav, and Daniela, who are sold out and are going to be sent out to deal with that city and build a great church. Matthew chapter 9. You're only sold out when you're sent out. You say, man, I'm not going to be sold out. I'm not going to be sent out. Well, maybe you need to stay and pay. <laughs> Matthew chapter 9. Let's look at Matthew, religious guy, tax collector. He says this here. Matthew chapter 9. Point number one, I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? See, if you're ready to go, that means you're ready to grow. Because if you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not growing, you're dying. Got any parents in the house? Can you imagine having a little newborn baby that never grows? Can you imagine a 15-year-old infant? That would be weird. There actually is a medical term for it. But how much more so weird is it when we've been 15, 20-year disciples and we haven't grown? Or maybe we've grown in an oblong way. You know, can you imagine if your arm has grown but your legs haven't? And you're just, you know, dragging your knuckles, you know, all around the fellowship right there. See, when you say you're ready to go, you're ready to grow. Because every one of your insecurities will be challenged. Every one of your fears will be put to the spiritual test. Everything that was in me that thought I was Christian was tested. I sold my house, my car, everything I owned and moved to London, England. The happiest place. I moved from L.A. where there's Disneyland to the happiest place in the world. To tell people about Jesus. Yeah, sold my house to come. Moved to, we had a flat in Camden Town. I don't know if you've ever been to Camden Town. It is not the most glorious place. We moved to Camden Town. We had a one-bed flat. It flooded like six, seven different times. Michelle, I, I, I tried to, I didn't want Michelle to see like two or three times. I didn't want her to fall away. It's like, this is what you booed me into. But we paid the price, and we'll pay it again. And it sold us out. I got my convictions. I got a family that loves God. And we're going to evangelize all of Europe. And I've had to grow quite a bit. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to grow? Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic laying on a mat. When Jesus saw the man laying on the mat. When Jesus saw the man. When Jesus saw their faith, Jesus saw the faith of the friends. You are to be the friends of the faithless. You are to be the friends of those lying on a mat of depression. You are to be the friends of those lying on a mat of bitterness. Pessimism, I don't believe in church, organized religion. Oh, you believe in that? Organize everything else but religion. Organize football, I believe in that. Organize house, well, I believe in that. Can you imagine a disorganized bank where they switch your accounts and all of a sudden you owe money? I don't believe in organized. What is that? That's, what is that? I find it interesting that people get mad at God for what people have done to them. Church is not God. Church is full of people like you and I. We're messed up. We're just people. You know what people do? Sin. God doesn't sin. He doesn't sin. And so we, we live in a world where people get sinned against by people and then get mad at God. Can you imagine? Somebody else hurt you and then you get mad at somebody else about it. That's the world we live in. They've gone to a false teaching church that doesn't preach the word of God. They get injured and then they don't believe in religion. Or they're like how I was. They got a bunch of sin in their life and they use intellectual arguments to hide their sin and try to sound smart and intelligent when their sin is really obvious. That was me. Porn every day. Call myself a Christian. Drunk. Call myself a Christian. Saturday night drunk, Sunday go to church. That was, I did, I thought it was okay. Until someone got in my life who was sold out. God sent them out to tell me the truth. And right here we find that Jesus sees the faith of the friends. 
When you go out, Jesus will see your faith for your friends who are lying on their mats. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, because he doesn't see the paralytic's faith. Man, I can't stand studying the Bible with this guy. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus, this is hard to do. I don't have enough time. No, Jesus says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to blasphemy. I mean, it's always the Pharisees. These guys drive me nuts. They never see the miraculous because they're always looking for violations. They never see the miraculous. They're always looking for a problem. What did, what, what did he go wrong? Wait, you know we have people that persecute us. You know who, who gets persecuted now? The sisters of encouragement. I just got sent a clip from someone who took a, like a couple of Shaney's words and a couple of other sisters' words and like kind of put them together and go, see, 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 look what they say. They're so e How do you get something negative out of the sisters of encouragement? I mean, their name is the Sisters of Encouragement. i tell you how you get something like that. You're, you're a Pharisee. You're a skeptic. You need to be skeptical of your skepticism. You're a doubter. You need to doubt your doubts. You might be wrong. You might be wrong about this church. This may be the very movement of God. The only hope for all of Europe. And so here, it's, it's, so, it's so convicting. They see the skeptical heart. And it says in verse 4, knowing their thoughts. Jesus knows what you're thinking. You don't have to tell us. Jesus knows what you're thinking. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in you? Entertain. Entertain. Not have them. Entertain them. I'm so depressed and I'm so discouraged. Something I don't want to be happy. I'm so negative. I live in London, 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 London. Entertaining evil thoughts. Entertaining them. I like them. He says, Why do you entertain evil thoughts? Why do you do that? Which is easier? Your sins are forgiven or say, get up and walk so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That flies in the face of everyone who says, why do you need to be baptized? Jesus hadn't died yet. Well, right here it says, while he walked the earth, you didn't need to. Jesus could do whatever he wanted. You could be forgiven by him when he walked the earth. Now he's left us the plan of salvation and you've got to be baptized. Then he said to paralytic, get up. Leave your mat and go home. No, he didn't say that. He says, get up, take your mat, and go. You're sent out. Pick up your mat because your mat is your message. He says, tell people you used to lie on a mat of depression. Pick up, show them the mat you used to lie on. And then you go and preach the word. Show them the mat of atheism. Show them what atheism got you. Show them that mat. Show them, show them how good you felt after that abortion. You're not obligated now. You're free. Show them how good it felt. Show them your mat. Show them what you used to lie on. Never forget who you used to be. But don't know, don't, don't believe that's who you still are. You are a disciple. You got a message. You got hope. Take your mat. Take your message. Go out. You're sent out. Go preach the word of God. Jesus is awesome. I hope you believe the same. Jesus is awesome. Look at this, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, the tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him, as did disciples. When, here are these Pharisees again. These Pharisees. When the Pharisees saw, they asked his disciples, why did the teacher eat with tax collectors or sinners? Jesus is so awesome. He was comfortable in the face of sinners. He wasn't religious. He could be in the face of people that were sinning against him, 
And he wasn't so holy that he couldn't be able to not give into it, but also connect with him. You know, it's so great. Michelle and I, we, we, we have this little pub that we, ooh, that's the Holy Spirit. Amen. We went to this pub. And this pub is incredible because, you know, you know how pubs are. Everybody's, you know, everybody's, they're at church. You know, they got their, they got their, their Holy Spirit, it's called a pint or seven. And they're drinking, they're doing their thing. And uh, I go up to the counter and the uh, guy goes, wow, you, you're well-dressed. He goes, oh, what, are you, what are you, you're a businessman, you're an executive? And right in that moment, I thought of my, my, my son in the faith, Demeji. See, Demeji preached a sermon on Saturday. He says, you know, disciples, you need to stop being ambiguous. And right in that moment, he goes, the guy goes, who are you? And I go, I'm a sold-out disciple and a preacher of the gospel. I mean, I'm in a pub. Everybody's, you know, they're drinking and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm a sold-out disciple. I'm a preacher. I'm thinking of Demeji's words. I'm like, yeah, my son is giving me faith. I'm not ambiguous. I'm here to preach. You know what he said to me? He goes, he grabs his partner. He goes, see, the devil was at, on that side of the pub. Now Jesus is on this side of the pub. I, go, I wanted to call up John Causey, who was persecuted when he was in London and called Black Jesus and tell him, bro, I'm bla Black Jesus is back again. Jesus isn't black, though. Amen. So persecutors, you'll probably take that clip and, and splice it to say something. I just wanted to help you with that in the midst of the sermon while you're trying to persecute us. Um, they were humble. Both these guys were open. They're like kind of like cartoon characters, like the skinny black guy and white guy, both bald guys. <laughs> it's funny. And they started encouraging one another. And then they stopped everything because they go, Pastor, you don't pay for anything. You don't pay for nothing. You're a man of God. Respect. And I went, amen. <laughs> London National Christian, you don't invite him to church, right? You got to share your faith, right? You don't, you don't, you got to share. You, so you got to be sent out. So share my faith with them. It was awesome. And I read the scripture, go, wow, this is who we got to be. We got to be comfortable in the face of sinners without giving in and being held captive ourselves and being held captive to the things that they're held captive to. Jesus was comfortable with Sinners right there. Verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, is it not the healthy who knew the doctor but the sick? But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I'm not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Then Jesus is questioned about fasting. I don't know why you would question him about fasting. But then we get down to verse 18. It says, while he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died died but come and put your hand on her and she will live. come and just touch my daughter and she will live this man had enough his faith was like all you got to do is touch my daughter she can be healed by one touch just one touch of jesus and she can go from dead to alive. So what's Jesus do? Je says Jesus got up and went with him. And so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of He gets interrupted on a, in, a, in the middle of a study. He gets interrupted by another study. I'm, I'm sure you caught that. Right in the middle of one divine appointment, he gets interrupted. Jesus is always available for you. He's available for every. He gets interrupted. And the Bible says, as he's interrupted on the way to heal another woman, says, just then a woman who had been subject bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Jesus said, she said to herself, if only I touch his clothes. I will just want 12 years of internal bleeding from marijuana trying to medicate my pain. 12 years of internal bleeding from alcoholism. 12 years of internal bleeding from prostituting myself with women. 12 years of bleeding on the inside. But I can be healed if I let you. You know, when you let someone touch you, 
it's intimate. When someone just reaches out and they put their hand on you, there's something different about that. And this woman knew. She had the faith to know all she had to do is reach out and touch. And the Bible says in verse 22, Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. Faith can heal you in depression. Faith in the, in the Bible can heal you. It can heal you. I know a lot of you don't believe it. I don't care. The Bible teaches it. You can be healed. Depression is not always a chemical problem. It's a spiritual problem. You don't heal spiritual problems with chemicals. That's the reason why it doesn't work. You can keep, you can keep smoking weed. I know. I grew up in a weed-smoking family. You got a spiritual issue that a chemical can't heal. You can't smoke it away. You're going to wind up doing coke. And then you're going to wind up like my mom, a crackhead. My mom became a crackhead. Shameful to say it. And the drugs took her mind. They took her mind. And it was tough for her. She left me and my, my three, I have three younger brothers. She left us in a building. I was abandoned. I was, I'm an abandoned kid. Why do bad things happen to people? If there's a God, why do bad things happen? God, is, God believes in the ripple effect. God works for the good of those who love him. God said, I'm going to let this woman go through a lot of hell. She's going to abandon her son, but this kid's going to love God. And it's going to produce a church in Europe, and Europe is going to get salvation through that bad thing because God believes in the ripple effect. He works for the good of those who love him. Faith healed her, and faith can heal you. Jesus believes in follow-up. How do we know? Look at verse 23. When Jesus entered the ruler's house, see, he had to get to the ruler's house, remember? He's supposed to go to the ruler's house first. When Jesus <laughs> entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players in the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. She got up and news spread of this through the whole region. And the church said... We got a young girl who has come to have God put his hands on her and heal her and become a true disciple. Shruti has come to be baptized today. 34-year-old single professional from one of the most beautiful countries in the world, New Delhi, India right there. She's got her own clothing company, but today she's going to be clothed with Christ. She's not very religious, and that's exactly how we like them. I like people that are not very religious. She spent a lot of years kind of pursuing kind of the world, pursuing the cosmos. But she saw that it only magnified the darkness that she was in. And today, she says, hey, you know what? It's time, it's time for me to, to make Jesus Lord. Uh, she's going to get that one touch, and she's going to be a sold-out disciple, ready to be sent out to help other women become true disciples. She's going to be baptized today. Look at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns, and he wants to go through all the towns again, and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the bad news of the kingdom of God. No, you can hear that at Oxford Circus. Those aren't Christians. Don't worry about it. Tell, tell all your friends that don't want to become Christians, just to let them know that when people are shouting, you're going to hell, you're going to... Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. I, I can't stand those people that are doing it. Every time I go to share my faith with them, none of them are ever open. They're usually, maybe hopefully, it'd be nice if one was open, but in my experience, they've never been open. Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw... The crowds. That means you got to see it. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, 
but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. You got to pray. You got to see it. Then you got to say it. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease. These are the names of the 12 apostles, and these are the guys that he sent out. How do we know they were sent out? Because it says uh, in verse 5, it says these are the uh, uh, these 12 Jesus sent out. It was sorted. Jesus says you got to see it. Say it. Sort it. See it, say it, sort it. You got to see that the world is lost. You got to pray. And then you are the answer to your prayers. See, right here we find that Jesus doesn't, they don't see the crass and help us. Wow. Okay, who's going who's gonna to get that? <laughs> Look at everything. Everything's messed up in London. Okay, who's going to sort that out? Government? Yeah, let's just spend all of our time arguing about how bad the government is. No. Left? Let's, we got to be labor. No, no, no. The labor is not labor. The labor is to go out and make disciples. Conservative. Wrong. Wrong. What proof do you have that the word of God? Wrong. Don't get me started. No, no, no. That's not the conservative people God wants. Not labor or conservative. No, he, he wants true disciples. He wants true disciples who are the answer to their own prayers. They were the <laughs> See the problem? They were the answer. Isn't that interesting to know that right now you are the answer to some of your prayers? You're praying stuff and asking God to do it, and you're the answer. God changed my marriage. Right, change. Change my husband. Right. Pray about him. Michelle believes in this. Man, I, I used to be mean to Michelle at one point. She prayed to God like one time. I fell down. I was, I'm scared now. I don't mess around. This woman will turn to God on me, and I, I know. So I treat her really sweet and really nice. You know, if I get a little something, I call my card Maria, and they get in there to help us out, maybe Jamie and Hillary, and it's all, it's all good. Are, are you with me here? You got you to pray. You got to pray. got to believe in prayer. You got to see it. You got to say it. And things will be sorted. I love the fact that he says he gave his disciples authority. You always got to ask yourself when you hear a lesson like this, does Jesus have all authority? Does he have all authority? Because if he only has some authority, that means Satan has some authority. If he doesn't have all authority to be able to send you out in his authority, Satan's got some authority. Where does Satan have authority in your life? Where does he have influence? Where is Satan more influential in your life than Jesus Christ and the word of God, the scriptures? I mean, I, I don't want to tell all my stories. You guys know I got, I, I got issues. That's why I'm a Christian. I was raised by my grandfather. Man, this guy was so pro-black. It, it drove me nuts. I had, like, friends from all nations. My grandfather was pro-black. Everything he had to do was black. He talked in a preacher's voice. Give me, give me the black shoes right there. Give me the black Bible, Michael. It's a black day. The black man ain't been treated well in this world. He tried to talk like Martin Luther King all the time. I was, like, six. We go shopping. Look at this boy come here. Look at the black olives are in a can and the green olives are in a jar. It's racial. <laughs> he did that all the time to me. It's like tormented me. You are a black man. You got to be black. You got to be black, 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 black. All the time. I'm like, that... Grandpa, I like everyone. <laughs> but I had a little bit of that when I came into the kingdom. I remember they said, hey, you need to go on dates with all nations. I said, I'm a black man. I went like my grandfather, and God did not bless it. And then I fell in love with Michelle, and I couldn't lie about it. I just fell in love. I looked her one time in the eyes, and I was like, that's the one. Don't do that, though, guys. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. 
Get some discipling. Get some discipling. <laughs> get some discipling. <laughs> I got some discipling. I got some discipling. Don't just look in the eyes like that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. I was a young Christian. I was a young Christian. <laughs> she looked back, too. She tried to act like she was innocent. She tried to be like she was innocent. She looked right back with those big old eyes. She was like, hmm. I was like, man, she's awesome. I like Michelle because she loved the word of God. We fell in love over the Bible and doing God's work. And I get a little emotional sometimes. I look over at her and go, wow, we're still doing God's work. We're doing God's work together. It's awesome. It's awesome. But I get scared because I had to give Jesus all authority. And I only mention that story because I know some of you got some little secret areas in your heart. Where Satan's got authority. Maybe today you can just be sold out. Just be sold out today so you can be sent out, so you can actually have impact, so Jesus could have all authority. Look at the guys he chooses here. He chooses all these guys. I can't go through all their names because it's really convicting when you go through them all. Uh, Peter means rock. Andrew means manliness. We need men that are manly. John means God is gracious. Philip means the lover of horses. He, he probably had some money problems at one stage because horses were kind of like cars. Um. Judas Iscariot means one who strangles. Disloyalty will choke you out. Um, Jesus started with this 12, then he got 120. And you know what's interesting when you look at Acts chapter 1, and, you, and it talks about the 120? There are two people that are missing, Jesus and Judas. You ever notice that? God is saying nobody's Jesus. And don't be Judas. Nobody's Jesus. And don't be Judas. And of course, that 120 then multiplied to 3,120 by Acts chapter 2, verse 36. By Acts chapter 4, the number of men grew to 5,000. By Acts 6, verse 7, the number of priests became obedient to the faith. You had guys leading churches that finally coughed out that, yeah, I'm not a true disciple. And they got baptized as disciples. We've had that even in our church this year. And, and Jesus sends them out, and he says, you know, in verse 7 of chapter 10, as you go, preach this message. And that, that, that's our second point, and that's probably where i got to camp out. i got to stop right there. we got to preach this message. What is that message? The kingdom of heaven is near. we got to preach the kingdom. Why does he say preach this message? Because he knew there were a lot of other messages you could be tempted to preach. Focus on the family. You know, we just, in our church here, we just focus on the family. It's not about trying to go out and save everyone if you don't save yours at home. We have a comfortable fellowship here. We don't want to offend anybody. Jesus wasn't so offensive. He was a nice God. Believing in everybody. He was not judgmental. What do you believe about homosexuality? I'm not here to judge. Jesus is the one to judge. How about Islam? Is that the truth? Islam? Huh. God's people are all over the world. All over the world. You know, it's so... Yeah, exactly. I'm getting nauseous. No. Preach. Islam is false teaching. Catholicism is false teaching. Pentecostalism is false teaching. Atheism isn't worth your energy. Humanism isn't worth your time. None of those things are true. The only thing that's true is the Bible, the scriptures. The scriptures are true. You don't believe it? Just try them. The Bible has a self-regulating scripture. It says you don't, want to, you don't think this is true? Just do it. There's some of you right now. I don't know if I believe it. That's because you won't do it. And you'll never, can, uh, uh, what's a, you got to do it. You got to do the Bible. You got to preach this message. We got to go. And on that note, I got to go. I want to challenge you here. I want to challenge the church. We need to go to the EMC strong. 
Strong, not weak, strong. Some of you don't look in the eye. That tells me you don't read your Bibles. Some of you got sins in your life. You need to repent of those sins. The world is watching, guys. Do you know we studied the Bible with a young man this year? This year. We preached this message. We told him, you got to become a Christian. You got to. You got to do it, man. God loves you. You don't have to, but you should. You know what he did? He walked away. He didn't let Jesus be stronger. He didn't have the faith to let Jesus heal him of his anger, of his, of his, of his disloyalty to the scriptures. Say, what happened? Well, I can send you the newspaper article. He went out and he killed someone. He stabbed someone. He stabbed another 20-year-old kid. Got real, didn't it? Can you overcome rejection now? You got enough faith to overcome somebody saying, no, I don't want to come to your church. Maybe you may help a kid not kill someone. He studied the Bible just this year in the North Region with Luke Snow. Didn't become a disciple and went out and murdered someone in London. You see why it's so important that we see scores of men. I appreciate the girls being baptized. We need men to go. Men to go. Men to go. Either leave our church or go make disciples. I'm here to save men. And, and the sisters. Amen. But, but we need some... We, see, see the sisters say amen? We need brothers that love God more than porn and you're ready to go. You're ready to be sent out. That love God more than your mind and you're ready to go. You're ready to be sent out to save someone that love God more than your failure. It's only a failure if you let it be. It's never a failure if you get up and be faithful and fail forward and keep going and going and going and going until we win the world for Jesus. For Jesus. I love you. And to God be all the glory.